It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week we go over some local topics, some national topics, and uh, maybe even a nutty story or two. And of course our gambling picks, which are, everybody waits for those. Everybody loves those. Because we're so, you're, not so good at them. You're either making tons of money or I, you're fading us and I'm still rolling in basketball. I'm still rolling in hoops. You are. Football. Not not so much on the other side of There's things. There's always bowl season in the playoffs, Rick. There's there we go. Always you can always make that. it back up. Yes, you I can. You just double down for the entire year. For the record, Rick has on kind of a Christmassy type. Um, it's not even a sweater. It's more of a pullover-ish. Not even a three-quarter pullover. People told me after last you week's like, podcast. You know what you look like? What? You look like a, a magician who's not even working a main gig. <laughs> it's what you look like. You look like an off-the-rack magician at the moment with that with that top on. Yeah, I'd say that's about where my life is at at this point. Um, it's kind of a silky... Is that is that silk or what is that? Is that rayon or silk? I'd, I'd go rayon probably. Okay, so it's you an got, Amazon deal. It's, it's, it's rayon with, with, bl- with black as the primary color. And then a fire-breathing dragon wearing a that's Santa a, hat. That's a T-Rex, first it's a T-Rex of all. wearing a, yeah. But it, it does breathe fire. You're and he, right, and he's, right he's firing up the Christmas tree, which is then going to set the presents on fire. What is the it, purpose of said shirt? Who got it for you and why are What bet did you lose to wear that today? Look, Skinny, um, first of all, if you've never seen a Christmas T-Rex before, get in the game. I mean, that's pretty, pretty typical and traditional, I would say. Also, after last week's podcast, I heard from some people that were concerned that I wasn't in the Christmas spirit enough. Oh. So yippee-yee-kaye, motherfuckers. Here I am. I'm Merry Christmas out right here in this beautiful T-Rex breathing dragon shirt. So again, did you lose a bet for that? No, I'm Or girlfriend guilted you into it? I wore this for you and our listeners because you guys were so worried about me not being a You were quite bah humbug last week. I'm a big Christmas guy today. Okay. Huge Christmas guy. Just today today and tomorrow and then it's gone. Merry Christmas, guys. And like when when, when the NBA has its marathon tip-off... That's about the time as Christmas wears off for you, right? As soon as I lose, lose the first half under in the first NBA game, That's what I figured. I'll be back bah, 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 Christmas. <laughs> yep, exactly. There we go. All right, we got a lot to get to. Hit it off. The Bengals secured the top pick in next year's draft, and they did so in spectacular fashion, losing the Dolphins on Sunday. The Bengals trailed 35-12 at one point, but made a furious comeback, which included two touchdowns and an onside kick in the final 29 seconds to send the game into overtime, only to then lose on a field goal in the final seconds of OT. Was that the most Bengals game in the history of Bengaldom, Skinny? Uh, the Dolphins tried to out-Bengal the Bengals, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> actually, the only thing that would have made it more Bengals is if they actually would have cost themselves the number one overall pick with yeah. that performance, right? The, the great part was I, was I was writing a game story and pretty much had it done at 35-12, to 12, right? And I'm, I'm pretty happy with my lead. I'm pretty happy with kind of how the flow went. And writing game stories is an art. I enjoy it. I know a lot of people don't like doing that stuff on deadline. I still Hate like it. it. I still enjoy just the art of that. And so I got to the point of kind of taking a breath and going, whew, this is done. I just need to update Andy's numbers as the game goes on, update Fitzpatrick's numbers, update the total yardage numbers. And every so often after a drive, I'd kind of plug the numbers in just to have them there and know that I needed to re-update them. And I'm feeling really good. 35-19, I'm still not feeling awful. It's, you know, two touchdowns, two two-pointers in four or five minutes. It's not going to happen. And then I start looking at Twitter, and I can feel the angst and the tension, and the, oh my God, this is not going to happen, is it? No. And so then at 35-27, I saw a friend of the show, Lance McAllister, tweet out, still a 99.1% probability that Miami wins. <laughs> and I thought, boy, that was not very bright, Lance. I love you. I'm doing his show on Thursday at Belterra Park, and I'm going to remind him of that. I'm like, yeah, it's, that's probably not, not good. And I'm seeing more angst and more angst. And then the onside kick is recovered. And it almost broke Twitterverse. It really and truly did. Just the how quickly, and it wasn't just mentioned, you know, people tweeting, it was just tweets in general. Just my timeline just went broop with just all kinds of reaction to that. It yeah. was, it truly was incredible. And then you're thinking, all right, they did get this, but there, there's no way they're getting in range to even throw a touchdown. Okay, now they're in range, but they're not going to throw the touchdown in the last play from there. Okay, they did. But they're not going to get the two pointer again, right? And well, they did. They did. And they're not going to win the coin toss in overtime. I mean,. None of that stuff should have happened. Could you imagine if that was a meaningful football game with like playoff implications on the yeah. line? That would have been the most insane 30 minutes as a NFL fan no that has ever been experienced. And possibly. then the Bengal-like part of it is you still would have lost the game. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course yeah. yeah. It, it looked like a Bengals first-round playoff game is what it should have been. That would have been perfect. That was just... I, I, I'm not sure we'll ever see anything like that again. I mean, because nobody gets... 16 points in 29 seconds. Nobody recovers an onside kick anymore. Nobody comes from 23 down with six minutes to go in the NFL. It doesn't, none of that stuff happens. 
And it happened here. Every step of the way, like you said, it was just like, no way. That's, this yeah, this, this is going to happen. Okay. Dude. it's a fun, It was funny to this point, but... Yeah. And then it just kept going. I mean, just a bizarre, bizarre game to watch. And, and, but that's and, what happens when you have the two worst teams in the NFL No, and, ba- and based on the way Cleveland melted down and, and the way they're going to... Bengals are going to roll them this Sunday. And so you know that if somehow they'd have won that game in Miami, it would have cost them probably the number one pick. It would have. It, it, it's unbelievable to me. Unbelievable. So yes, to answer your question, that was the most Bengals-like game in Bengaldom. It is being treated as a foregone conclusion that now that they have the number one pick, they are definitely going to draft Joe Burrow next April. We've talked a lot about this upcoming draft, but I'll ask again, do you think it's a near certainty that the Bengals will draft the LSU quarterback, presuming he stays healthy in the college football playoff? I like the word near in there. Yeah, I think it's a near certainty, but I I think there's a lot of factors. Um, One of it is Joe Burrow is going to get picked apart. Uh, I I can imagine he doesn't throw at the combine. It probably would not be in his best interest to throw at the combine. Yeah, he shouldn't do that. Um, He can throw at his pro day where he can control everything. He can control the variables. He can control where they do it. He can control the receivers. He can control what they're doing. So he can do a lot of things that he can control, and that's a smart thing. That's not a chicken thing. That's a smart thing to do for him. If I'm Joe Burrow, I don't do anything at the combine except for interviews. Exactly. That's that's the only thing I would do. And then I would do my own pro day and and have every variable controlled by me. So I'll, I'll start with that. But he's going to get picked apart, and then the Bengals need to evaluate him thoroughly through pro day stuff, through interviews, through background checks, through looking at more film, through a lot of talking with coaches, all those things. If they do deem him the, the best guy in the draft at that point or the best quarterback in the draft and they feel like they, it, it's time to make that cha- choice, then yeah, he's, he's the guy. But if they're, they find some flaws and they feel like, you know, we can wait another year on this. We still have Dalton under contract for a year. We're not quite there anyway. So let's use this as a year to kind of build towards next year and maybe getting a quarterback next year. And maybe you can take that first round pick and go backwards and get some other picks. So I I, I do think it would be hard for them not to take Joe Burrow because it is time to make that move to the next quarterback. But you don't have to. You, you don't. I know everybody thinks you, you don't have to. Yeah, we've talked in circles on this on kind of both sides of if they will, if they won't, but what's your read? I mean, you're around the program, you know it as, or the the team and the organization, you know it as well as anyone in terms of the the recent history. What do you think they're thinking? Do they need a quarterback right now in in their minds, or do you think there's a possibility they would consider something else? I I think because Andy's under contract, it leaves it open to the possibility of him coming back. I think the, the other part is too is, even if you draft Joe Burrow, that opens the possibility of Andy coming back and maybe dealing him at the death. I mean, the thing is with this, there's so many options to do with Andy Dalton. There is draft Joe Burrow and throw him in from day one. But then you're also going to need a veteran somewhere along the way. You're not going to have Ryan Finley as the backup to Joe Burrow. Right. You're not. You're not going to have Jake Dolagala. Jake Dolagala may come back as the third quarterback again. So you're going to have to do something veteran-wise in the offseason to bring a backup in um, and, and have that at least behind Joe Burrow if you don't have Dalton around. There's also the concept of, of you get a great offer in this offseason for Dalton and you just have to make the move. Voila, make the trade, get some picks for him. There's the concept of... You know, let's maybe Joe Burrow won't be ready, so let's have Andy at least as the bridge guy and come trade deadline. Joe will have gone through, let's just assume, eight or nine games again. And at that point, you go, okay, time to throw the kid in. There's just a lot of things they can do with this, to be honest with you. There really are. By the way, can you imagine if we get to the first game next year, both Burrow and Dalton are on the team, and Dalton makes the first start? I can see This fan base will go nuts. But I agree with you. It's a legit possibility. Yeah, if Andy stills on his roster, I think Andy does become the starter week one next (laughs) year. And they just kind of nurse. I don't know if they will if you know that there's a plan at that point that, look, you took Joe Burrow and you're not going to have him sit forever. Um, but but it is, right or wrong, throwing a rookie in from day one on what could be a mediocre team can be a recipe for disaster. I totally agree, which is the whole reason I don't think the Bengals should be drafting a quarterback this year. I think no matter who you draft this year, you either have to let the quarterback sit out because your team's going to be so bad that you're going to ruin his confidence, which, again, why would you take the quarterback right now then, unless... You just decide Joe Burrow is and, this and, elite and they may. talent and, and, that you'll and, never see yeah, again. And, and they may. And I think we'll know more about that when we talk with Duke Tobin and those guys at the Combine. Because I think they'll have a better read at that point, too. I, I just, I to me, it makes so much more sense to try to build this team around them, knowing that your team's still going to stink. Like, yes, it's possible the Bengals could win five or six yes, games next year. I, I, I that think they is possible forward, that they can it's not play themselves to be a out. Team. But you can also control that a little bit. Guy gets nicked up in the middle of the season, you know, if, A.J. Green is franchise tagged, and he's playing, and you franchise tagged him, and he gets nicked up. Maybe you do sit him out late in the year next year if you're trying to get a high pick. Right. So, like, you can control the tank thing a little bit from an organizational standpoint to where if you don't take a major step forward next year, maybe you do intentionally tank the second half of the season a little bit to make sure you can get 
Chase Young this year and a top quarterback next year. Now, yeah, I get it, that's it, a it, lot it, of ifs. No, it, but the thing is, I think everybody too next year is thinking that whoever has the number one pick in the draft is going to need a quarterback. What if it's the Giants again? And they're, they're in love with Daniel Jones, and they just have so many other parts that they don't need a quarterback, but they need something at the top of the draft. And maybe the Bengals don't get the number one overall pick, but it's four, five, or six. Maybe you can still get a good quarterback at that point. There's, there's a lot of ways they can go. I think the big part is... When the evaluation process comes down, what is their take on Joe Burrow? And I don't think we'll know that till we get to the combine. Yeah, and I'd be I'd be surprised if most teams don't have a favorable view of Joe Burrow at this point. Right. I understand why. He looks really good right yes. now. My only concern is that he was a third round arm talent and like measurables type talent coming into this year before he had really shown that That's he was right. going to be this elite quarterback at, at the, the highest level. And I don't I I'm not saying he won't be good. There's been plenty of guys that have proven themselves that didn't have all the measurables and all the things you look for in a prospect. But he's also being compared to guys like Andy Dalton and Carson Wentz by scouts who break this type of stuff down. I don't think the Bengals should be looking at trying to take that guy who doesn't have the tools and build him into an all-world quarterback. I think they should take the Andrew Luck-type prospect who was a number one prospect in the country coming up he checks all the boxes while he's in college and now he still looks like a top guy to me that's Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Those two guys were studs in high school. Yeah, I don't know about Justin Fields, but, like, but Trevor Lawrence, I absolutely Justin agree. Fields is the number one player in the I know, country. Oh, I, know, I realize I mean, that. I'm I just... think both of those guys look like studs. They have all the tools. They have the athleticism, the size, the arm. Burrow doesn't have those things to me. I, I think he looks really good, but it's also one year playing with the best team in college football. So I, I just... I don't know. I don't love the idea of taking Joe Burrow. Yeah, I'm not, for in, love with, I'm not in love with it. But I, again, I go back to if you've rated him as your guy, then go ahead and get your guy and let's start the building process now. Because I think you're starting the building process anyway, right? At least you should be. You better be. You should be starting the building process, but I don't think the building process should start at quarterback. I realize quarterback is the most important position. No, I, I don't think it has to either. But you, I believe you, you have can a guy, ruin a quarterback. You have a guy under contract already. You have a guy that, listen... I know everybody hates Andy Dalton. I get that. He's still a capable NFL quarterback. Of course. He can He's get you through that. another year as you're building. And then, in the offseason, go get a veteran as a backup. Go get, then, your, your quarterback in the draft the next year. So, the, I, I don't think it has to be etched in stone for Joe Burrow. It's just, the only thing it does, for, only thing Joe Burrow does is this. Hope. 95% of the fan base will galvanize behind Joe Burrow. Yes, that's and, exactly. And that, and that gives you, if you take Chase Young... As much as Ohio State fans love him, I think there's been a segment of Ohio State fans that would go, why'd you not take Joe Burrow? They're Ohio State Bengals fans both. Yes. Joe Burrow galvanizes everybody. It does bring you that level of hope. Chase Young might be the more sound football decision after the evaluation process is over, but I think you have a hard time selling that to your fan base. I just do. I totally agree with you, but I don't want them making draft choices on the fan base. They've been doing that for way too long. That's part of their problem. And I, I just think you get game changers when you can get game changers. If you know a guy is the best mm-hmm. at his spot, Chase Young is that guy. He's the only guy in this year's draft that looks to be a surefire game changer at the NFL level. I say take that guy and try to start building up around him. I, I, I tell you, to me, the three most important positions in the NFL still are pass rushers, left tackles, and quarterbacks. Period. End of story. Totally agree. And you can get one of those, a game changer at one of those positions in this draft. Yeah, you're not, yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no offensive tackle you're taking first overall. And actually, to, your, to, the, to the luck of it, you've got a first round tackle you get a chance to plug in without having seen play. So, exactly. There's, there's that. So, you got a, you got a chance for the, your game changer at the left tackle to be plugged into the lineup. Your game changer is a pass rusher. And you have to wait another year for maybe a game changer at quarterback while you still have a guy that is still capable enough to win games. And, I see every, the funny thing is, I'm usually a hot take guy. I'm not a hot take guy, but I'm usually a, a take guy. I don't have one here because there's a lot of different moving pieces to all of this still. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think like if they take Joe Burrow, it's the end of the world. And it makes absolutely no, I don't no either, sense. Yeah. I get the yeah. idea of taking Joe Burrow. And he may be great. Maybe he's going to be Tom Brady for all. Like, he could be that good. If, if, look, if you evaluate him, and we also have to trust their evaluation process, but this could be the whole league. Maybe the whole league evaluates him and goes, this dude, you got there's no doubt. This is the no-doubt guy. Okay, if that's the case, then you take him. I'm not going to argue with that. But if we start hearing some things about, you watch his arm talent, it really isn't that great. And uh, we don't trust the fact of, you know, he was playing with elite guys. And, yes, he played against elite competition. But NFL and SEC competition are two different things. Yeah. I think the SEC is great. I'm a huge – I'm an SEC homer. I think it's far and away, and it's not even a close second. It's the SEC and then a big drop-off to a lot of leagues. But it's still different. Well, the it's big, still different. The big difference there is – in the NFL, you don't ever dominate the opposition. 
Like physically, you don't dominate right, the right. other team that's ever. Right. At LSU, they've dominated a lot of teams, even, even at the highest teams, levels of yes. the SEC. Yes. I mean, there's just a difference between five stars that are going to play in the NFL one day and really good four stars. I mean, there just is. Yes. And that's what we've seen this year with LSU. I think we've seen it with Ohio State as well. They have physically dominated competition. That'll never happen in the NFL. And you also realize the Bengals' luck, right? You also realize their luck. That Joe Burrow is a can't-miss guy. He is the best quarterback. He will prove to be. And he'll get hurt in one of these two playoff games. That would seem exactly like what would happen for the Bengals. I would not be mad at that though, because then it would choice hopefully made, mean choice made easy. They take Chase Young I, again. I think I keep hearing people say if they take Chase Young, they they won't be in a position to win any more football games than they were this year. And I go, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah, whole they, point. Yeah, they will, and yes, they will. To answer answer that question, yes, they, they will, will slightly. But I agree, he doesn't make them all of a sudden a 500 football team. They could still easily be three and 13 next year with Chase Young. But that's what I want them to be. Look, I want them to tank next year too. Yeah, you don't go from one win to the playoffs and all likelihood. You it's go not going to happen. Hey, look, but can you go from one to five to 10? Absolutely. You can do that very quickly with two good off seasons, two good drafts. I'd like to go one to two or three to 10. And I think that's possible too. I think this team, this team was, this team was more a five and 11 team. It really, if you look at all the one possession games they played and the injuries and, yeah, and everything. The injuries I, and that. So, so look, we're not looking for a huge step forward. We're looking for some additions and, and some good choices. Well, I think they are looking for a huge step forward. I think, They've got holes everywhere. The defense is an a- absolute disaster. I think the offense can be better with the guys getting should healthy. Be better, yes, but um, again, you're still looking for your quarterback of the future, which could sort of restart everything there. All right, let's move on. Uh, well, not quite. We'll stay with the Bengals for one more topic here. A picture was released during the game that showed Bengals backup quarterback Ryan Finley sitting on the bench with his hat low and his head hanging. Twitter immediately did what it does and started blowing the situation up and making jokes about. I the did. I started it. Snoozing on the bench. Was Ryan Finley sleeping on the Bengals bench during Sunday's game, Skinny? I had some people in the organization seem to think that he might have been. <laughs> you were truthering him on Twitter. You well, broke all, this story. All I did was I was because I, I didn't make the trip to Miami. It was a kind of a business choice. We're trying to save a little bit of money for the company, and it makes sense. I had no reason to go spend a thousand dollars on a flight and a hotel and food and all that stuff for a one in fourteen football team. So I I covered the game literally from my from my couch and all those things. And so I'm watching the TV broadcast like everybody else, and all of a sudden they pan the camera through Ryan Finley, and I did a double take, and I just all I tweeted out was Ryan Finley sleeping on the bench. And I didn't get a response for a while, and I thought, ah, I must have missed that. All of a sudden, here comes some responses. Here comes a, a, a screen capture of it. And I'm looking, thinking, he, and somebody said, well, he's, he's looking at his iPad. Well, if you're looking at your iPad, and, and they do, usually you're scrolling through it, right? And maybe it caught him at a weird moment, but if you look, the photo that was sent to me, his both his arms, arms are resting on the bench, Head is completely down. Hat is down. Yeah, I can't see his eyes. And truthfully, maybe he was looking at his iPad. Maybe he wasn't either. There was 4.54 to go in that game. They were down 16. What the hell is he looking at? Right. Back like, of his eyelids? You think he's... It's a 78-degree warm day. You just can't... You know, you, we've been in that Florida sun. It wasn't a sunny day, but we, you, we've all been on that vacation where you just kind of... The heat and the humidity, they just kind of melt you at one point, and you're just... You're really well, not doing anything. Especially when you're a backup quarterback who was getting tanked last night because you knew we weren't going to play today. Yeah, possibly. I don't know, but the visual was pretty funny, yes? Oh, it was hysterical, and I think he was absolutely sleeping. I don't even really think there's much of a question. Oh, okay, he might not have been like full-fledged sleeping... But my man was catching a little break right there. A little siesta on the bench. Maybe it just rested his eyes for 30 seconds or so. But that Maybe camera... it was a deep prayer. Maybe it was a Christmas prayer. Maybe he was praying for the... You know what he was doing? He was praying for the 16-point comeback. That's what he was doing. It worked. You know what? Shame on me. Wait. Shame on you. Shame on everyone out there. Is Ryan Finley the next Tim Tebow? Does Maybe. He, was that divine intervention the, that we the, witnessed the on Sunday? He had his head bowed in, in deep prayer down 16, praying for the miracle comeback. And then it happened. And then it happened. And then everyone made fun of him on Twitter. God and bless he you, Ryan Finley. And look what happened. The look Bengals happened. lose on a field goal. So. so shame on all of us for thinking he was sleeping. He was praying deep he, in prayer. He was sleeping. Okay. Sporting News named Kentucky's John Calipari its Coach of the Decade this week. Over 10 seasons, Calipari piled up 305 what? total victories, 31 NCAA tournament wins, 9 NCAA appearances, 7 Elite Eights, 4 NIT. Final Fours, and an NCAA NIT. championship that ended a 13-year drought for the Kentucky Wildcats. Skinny, do you agree with the Sporting News no. pick of John Calipari as the Coach of the Decade? No. I love this topic for you. Jay Wright is hands down the coach of the decade, and I know his team's had some lack of success early in the decade, but the dude won two titles at Villanova. Two in the span of, what, three years? So I actually think that's probably the right choice is Jay Wright. It's not even a close choice. I'd say it's tough to argue with that. Um, But look, look, I'm going to tell you this. 
How many NCAA titles did Tubby Smith win? One. Okay. And he was deemed a failure, right? Yes. By a lot of the fan base. How many John Calipari won? One. How many has he won? One. How many Tubby Smith won? One. How many John Calipari won? One. Why was one deemed a failure and one's the coach of a freaking decade? Well, I think that's still the old. You don't give me final. That's no, the ultimate measuring stick for Kentucky basketball. Right or wrong? Yes that, or no? Y- well, yes or no? For silly people, come on. There's it is no still way the you can ultimate measuring stick for Kentucky basketball. It is sure, but if you're not even getting to the elite eights and final fours, you know you have no chance of winning a national title. If you're at least competing in them regularly, you're going to win one or two. If you're Kentucky, Tubby got to a chunk of elite eights that they lost tough games in too. I mean, there was some of that. Okay, but either way, I I mean, if and I'm not here to tell you Tubby Smith deserved to be the coach of any decade. But John, please four Final Fours in no ten years. No one has done less with more. Four Final Fours in ten years is pretty damn good, and it's far from what Tubby Smith was doing. I tell you what, you give Tubby Smith that talent, I guarantee he wins too. But skinny, the problem is getting talent is literally eighty percent of the job of a head coach in college no athletics. No one has done and less he with can't more. Recruit. No one has done less with more. But see, you say that as an insult, and I do. the reality is that's a compliment to a college coach because the bulk of your job is getting the talent to your university. I, I thought the, the the main job was was taking that talent and molding it into into championship caliber teams, student athletes. Yes, to, to yes. send them to class on time. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even take that leap of faith, bro. Oh, come on, come on. I mean, Jay, dude, Jay, what Jay Wright has done? Jay Wright has made Villanova, and look, they had success under Raleigh Massimino. Yes, I will give you some of that. They also fell off the map with with. Uh, Steve, what's his face? Steve Lapis. Old man, what's his face? Yeah. Um, he rebuilt them into not just a, he rebuilt them into a brand, into a national power. Yes. Please. I agree. But he, but look, John like, Calipari took over a blue blood program and did what every coach other than two in the history of the program has done. Every coach but two, Billy Clyde drunk man and Eddie drunk man. The two drunks. <laughs> the two drunks couldn't win a national championship. Everybody else at least won one. Rupp, Hall, Pitino, Smith, Calipari, he did what everybody, he did what coaches are expected to do at Kentucky. Billy Clyde had an addiction. We're not supposed to say I'm things sorry. like that in yeah. 2019. Um, Don't do that to me, Billy. <laughs> Billy, I can run all I go, day. I can run all day. Um, so let me let me say this. I think there were three options that immediately come to mind when you think about. You would this. agree, Jay Wright's in the in the option. Jay Wright is yes. probably my choice. That's yeah. probably the, just because it stands out so. Kevin Ollie winning. Multi- Kevin Ollie won a title. He did as much as Calipari did. <laughs> We'll have Brendel in here before long if you start that up. Yeah, good point. Um, I think John Calipari definitely deserves to be in the conversation. I think Coach K would probably be the other one. The reason he I, also had some flameouts though, exactly. And the reason see I, what was it was it Lehigh. Coach K lost some early games in the tournament, and he also basically Izzo? the way he got to this point was doing the Calipari route. So I think before you crush me on the Calipari thing, let me just get in this one. Point. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. I do think. Calipari deserves some credit for sort of revolutionizing the way that, and maybe you don't like the way the game has gone. But I don't, he has, as you know, I don't. But he has definitely changed the way the sport is being handled in terms of recruiting yes, and yes. rules and all types of stuff. He impacts the sport more than any coach we've ever seen. I don't think that's up for debate. He is extremely influential, and for that reason, I think he definitely deserves the consideration. But you look at these numbers. Look, I know you like to crush Calipari and. Some of your points are valid, but you got you got to admit these numbers are good. He has had a lot of success at Kentucky. He has had a lot of success. I'm not here to tell you. So did Tubby Smith. So did Rick Pitino. So did Joe B. Hall. So did Adolph Rupp. But you don't think he's better than Tubby Smith? Like that's crazy to me. I don't. I think Tubby Smith played a far tougher schedule. I think college basketball was a lot different then. There weren't a lot of one and done guys. It was a lot of three and four year programs, and so it was hard to sustain success because everybody was building for that one year run or two-year window of, of opportunity as opposed to having, for a lot of times, one year and you're done, but that one year you had some dudes. Look, I'm not here to tell you he's not had success. I mean, he's had success. That's foolish of me to say that. But coach of the decade, no, I'm sorry. You needed to win at least two with the level of talent you've had and, and, and the seed lines that you've had and all of those things. You needed to win at least two. So you don't even have him in the conversation? Uh, yeah, if you want to go to five, yeah, maybe ten, yeah, I'll, I'll put him in the conversation. Well, but give me, me, give me an, another Mark name Few. or two. I mean, Mark, Mark Few's done at Gonzaga. That's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. But, but like, because there, there are different levels of of where you have to rate some of these guys too, right? Sure. I mean, based on, I mean, could you put Roy Williams in the conversation? I don't think so. I, North Carolina is a blue blood too. I you got to have more success. Tom Crean. 
Crean should have been the pick. I think <laughs> that's I think that's a good place to end. All right, Ohio State dealt Kentucky at second straight loss, seventy one sixty five, and it's third of the year Saturday as the CBS at the CBS Sports Classic in Vegas. The Wildcats dropped to number nineteen in the latest AP poll, while the Buckeyes moved up to number two. Skinny, is there a serious chance this Kentucky team misses the NCAA tournament? I brought it up last week, remember? And it's, I mean, not that the Ohio State loss is going to cost them. No. But they're not. There's no scalps other than Michigan State right now. Right. And had you gotten that Ohio State game, then all of a sudden it becomes, okay, they're fine. They've got the resume. Then you just take care of business in most of the games you need to take care of business. You're a five seed. Right. They're looking really good. But let's say say you lose the Louisville game, and it's a real possibility you do. Right. They still have Texas Tech in the uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge, and I believe, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, I believe it's at Texas Tech, I think. So if that's the case, that's going to be very tough. So let's assume they lose those two games, okay? And that makes you 8-5 and five non-league because they're 8-3 and three right now. And then let's say you go 12-6 and six in the league. 20-11, and 11, and it depends on who those 12 wins are against. If you just beat the teams you're supposed to beat and don't get a scalpel along the way, maybe this is a year where, yeah, 20-11 without a lot of scalps and it's just Michigan State and maybe, let's say, Florida at home, and even that isn't even a great win. It doesn't feel like anymore. Yeah, I think they can beat Tennessee. Like, say you get a win at Tennessee and a win yeah, the, at home the, against the, Florida. I think the good part is, even if they go 8-5, and five, I have a hard time seeing them do any worse than 12-6 and six in the league. And I can see 14-4 and because the league's just not very good this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think they're, they're going to be okay and make the tournament almost regardless, but, even if they continue to scuffle the way yeah, they are. But the way they shoot the ball, they could literally lose to anybody on the road. I mean, literally anybody. If things don't improve, they are one or two upsets away from being from being in consideration in of not real trouble for the coach. Of the, so that'd be a great way to close out the decade. Go to the NIT for coach of the decade. Well, you know, he, they might resend their offer and give it to Mick Cronin, which, by the way, was the biggest upset of that whole award. That, of course, he didn't give it to Cronin. I'm shocked. I knew, you, shocked I knew by you were that. getting that jab in somewhere. Um, but I, I no, I don't, I don't think this Kentucky team is going to miss the tournament because I think the SEC, even if they just go status quo the rest of the way yeah, they're probably I, I going to do enough in SEC right. to make it but they might be looking at like and you an better eight, thank seven eight yes seed. but you better thank the good lord for that Michigan State win when all said and done absolutely um I do think this Kentucky team still has upside the shooting I mean I don't know you went five you got five for eight from, from Nate Sestina the and, other night and, and, and still shot 30 percent two for 14 15 from the rest yeah I mean I don't know that it's going to get much better in terms of the shooting well, okay so if it's not oh, seriously thing so if it's not gonna get much better and you are not gonna play through your post guys and I'm not here to tell you you need to because they EJ Montgomery can't play Nick Richards can't play what do you do on offense it's a great what question. does the coach of the decade do to fix the offense because he is the coach of the decade as we know and, well I think I think the thing you do is You've seen Xavier over the last, and we're going to talk some about this, I think, coming up here, but you've seen Xavier since last year, where they were a team that all of a sudden couldn't shoot anymore. They had been a team that were, was sort of offensive-minded the last few years. Right. They went to a team that couldn't shoot all of a sudden, and they had to rely on being tough and being focused and defensive intensity for 40 minutes and all that stuff. Still got to find a way to score. And they had a bunch of new guys in new roles with the new coaching staff, mm-hmm. you could say. It just it didn't work. Those guys folded it under pressure. They couldn't handle it. They weren't together. They weren't cohesive. All of that. This year, all of a sudden... But Xavier wasn't coached by the coach of the decade. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. This year, all of a sudden, you're seeing them work through some of those things. The toughness is there. The, the, they execute instead of try to shoot their way mm-hmm. out of trouble, right? Can Kentucky get to... Because that's what has to happen, right? They have to get tougher. They have to continue to sustain, eff- sustain but, effort on defense. But Xavier, in certain circumstances, can get the ball to Tyreek Jones to get you a bucket. You can get Najee Marshall slashing to get you a bucket. And I'm not telling you it's always, and I'm not telling you it's against every opponent. I, I just... What, what can this Kentucky team do on offense to create something well, other than hope your guards can break people down? And I don't know if they're good enough to do that. Kentucky has better talent than Xavier did last year I or this year. I don't disagree with they that. They do. And so... Xavier's players last year when they lost six games in a row looked worse than Kentucky did offensively. They were every bit as bad, and you would have said the same thing. How can this Xavier team ever score with this group? And the answer is it's locking in, it's being tougher, it's executing better, it's playing together, but that's a hard thing to do when you only have one year of freshmen who aren't upperclassmen, who you don't have clear-cut leaders, you don't have a clear-cut go-to guy. Now, you do have a coach and a, a coaching staff that's experienced, and he's had a record of getting these one-and-done teams to, to play yes. better on defense and be more cohesive by the end of the year, that's the big question for this UK team. It's really hard to judge this UK team where they're at because this team does, to an extent, look worse than some of those other ones, and they're certainly shooting worse than those other UK teams in the past. But we've also seen almost all of John Calipari's UK's teams over the last decade 
get better as they go through the season. Yeah. So can and, this team make some type of jump? Yeah, and there's nothing to say that with the week, and I know he'll give them a couple of days off for Christmas, obviously, but basically a week's worth of practice other than a couple of days to let kids go for Christmas that that team isn't locked in at home against Louisville on Saturday. Because you know the crowd is going to be crazy. Um, they're back home. It, 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 there's, there's no reason to say that they don't upset Louisville. It wouldn't even be a huge upset. I'm sure they're going to be an underdog, I would assume. It's probably safe to say, but I don't think they'll be a huge underdog. So, yeah, you win that game and all's right with the world, right? But you lose it. And I mentioned you lose to Texas Tech. Then, really, you, you, don't, you can't afford many slip-ups in the SEC. No. And, and, like I said, I don't think it's a great league. But when you don't shoot it great, you can go to South Carolina and lose. You can go to Mississippi State and lose. You can go to Ole Miss and lose. So, you, you know, those things can happen. So, I, but I just, I would not feel good if they were to lose the Louisville game and the Texas Tech game knowing that they need to really take care of business in the SEC. I wouldn't feel great. I still think they're an NCAA tournament team, but you're right. Then you're an 8, 9, 10 seed line. Yep. Hell, maybe we'll see them in Dayton for the play-in game. Well, wouldn't I mean, be bad for local you know, fans. For the, for the local fans and the Dayton fans, they can see the coach of the decade in the play-in game in Dayton. There are two saving graces for the coach of the decade in us Wildcats. Which is? Camp Cal. Camp Cal's coming. And the tweak. You still have, the bo- tweak. You have both of those to look forward You're to. Right. They always turn the season around. We'll just wait till they get here. What would the tweak be? You play everything through Nate Sestina is what you do. <laughs> Run Sestina at point. <laughs> exactly. Point Sestina. Point Sestina. There it is. I All like right. it. Xavier picked up a big road win at TCU on Sunday, 67-59. The Musketeers are now 11-2 with losses on a neutral Florida, Florida and at Wake Forest. They did enough resume-wise that everything is still in front of them, but did they do enough to prove they're a much better team than they were last year, in your opinion? Oh, I think they're a much better team than last year. Um, I, and, I, and I think you saw that team, if you really want to take that team in parts last year, over the last five weeks, that became a, a, an NCAA-caliber team. It, it just did. didn't do enough to get to that point. So if you if you take those last five weeks and couple them with now, I think it's proven it's more than an NCAA tournament team. Now I think you're playing for a quality seed. And yeah, it's not going to be easy. But no, I look, the Wake Forest game stinks. In retrospect, it stinks as much as anything could possibly stink because then you're 12-1 and one in the non-league if you don't slip up. And that's why, you know, every team has that slip up somewhere along the way. And it's unfortunate. Especially this year. And I thought the win at TCU, I don't think TCU is worth a damn, to be quite frank. But it's still a road win and TCU's probably going to be on the cusp of making the tournament when all is said and done. Um, you know, they may be in the Big 12 and not do so well, but I, again, they're I think they're good enough. So yeah, I, I mean, if you'd have signed me up for 11-2 and two and said you're going to lose to Florida in that tournament and you're going to lose somewhere else on the road in the non-league, whether it was TCU or just pick another game. Yeah, I think most people had it reversed, right? They would lose to, at TCU, TCU and beat would be, Wake yeah, Forest. So yeah. Those games aren't a whole lot different when you look at the net and Ken right, Palm and stuff right, like that. Right. I mean, those two teams are fairly similar. Actually, um, I think people are just way more down on Wake Forest because they've been terrible for a couple years now, and TCU's kind of had some credit yes. recently of, of doing some good things. So let, let's say 12-6 and six in, in the Big East, and that might be a big ask. I, I get that, but I'll just yeah, throw, I'll just, I'll, huge I'll, I'll just throw that number East. out. I'll throw that number out there of 12-6. and six. That's get you 23-8, and eight, and somewhere along those 12 in the Big East, I'm guessing there's going to be a handful of, of quality victories along the way. I think 23-8 and eight probably gets you along the five-seed line. Yeah, at least. Yeah, I think in this Big East, then, I mean, well, especially in this year of college basketball, where everyone's got yeah. losses to go with their resume. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because the Big East, uh, you know, it depends on what metric you're looking. I think in Ken Palm, they're second right now, and RPI, they're first. Um, I don't know if the Net even has a conference ranking, but the Big East is in really good shape mm-hmm. this year. It's not as top heavy with you know the and, elite and they, teams, and they got but that everybody is solid. Ex- yeah, sorry to cut you off. They got that one extra kind of elite win as well when Villanova held off Kansas, and that, that kind big. of helped as well. Yeah, so I thought the TCU game was a big kind of storyline game and perspective game from the way teams people are going to view the Xavier team because I felt like coming off the Wake Forest game and considering, look, there's been those offensively challenged games all year for Xavier where they don't look great against some of the the lower class teams, that lower tier teams that they're playing throughout the bye games. Then you lose at Wake Forest, and I, I heard from a lot of Xavier fans were like. This team's the same as last year. And they gave don't up, have and gave up eating the process. Right. And they can't can't close on the road, all that type of stuff. If they would have gone in TCU and lost back-to-back road yeah. games like that, I think people would have had major concerns. And for the rest of this season, shy of them you know, racking up a couple road wins in the Big East that were big scalps, people would have been kind of down on this Savior team. But they go get that win at TCU. And even though TCU is not great, I think people are now like, yeah, this Savior team's different. They're really tough. They really defend all that stuff. And now people are kind of looking at them favorably. So I, I do think they're in the same position they were going to be in. 
But that win meant a lot for the way people are going to view them heading into Big East play. Now you start on the road at Villanova. Obviously, no one's expecting a win there, but if you pull one off, oh, my goodness. all you, of a sudden this team has a ton of buzz surrounding it the rest of the way. Agreed. Absolutely agree. Cincinnati dropped one in Chicago to Iowa on Saturday night, 77-70. to Jaron Cumberland led the Bearcats in scoring for the first time since the win over UNLV at the end of November as he finished with 18 points on 6 of 16 shooting, including 3 of 8 from deep. Do you think the Bearcats, and in particular Jaron Cumberland, are turning a corner heading into the conference play? I kind of thought they were with the Tennessee game, but that game, I watched the second half, listened to the first half because I was broadcasting the game myself, and so I got back to watch the second half. And Jaron Cumberland just looks disinterested. He looks like he just wants to hang out at the three-point line, squeeze off a handful of shots, and call it a day. And maybe it's not fair to pin it just on him, and it's, it's probably not. But he just he just doesn't look very interested to me, and maybe I, I'm reading that wrong. I, and if, and if he's not interested and he's not willing to to come downhill more and and do some of the things that he's capable of doing, I, I don't know where this team goes. I look, they did what they needed to do to some degree last week. They couldn't get swept. They at least had to split Tennessee and Iowa, and they did that. But they they they're a better team than Iowa. In my, I don't think Iowa's all that good. I really don't. And maybe I'm just still holding it against them the way they played against DePaul early in the year. Um, I think they're a 500 team in the Big Ten, maybe a game above it. I, this UC team, I don't know. It just it, it just doesn't feel like they're ever going to turn the corner. Yeah, it's funny because you know I said after the Tennessee game that that's a game that Mick Cronin teams lose almost every time. I, w- I would argue the Iowa game is one where you maybe saw that's a game that the Mick Cronin team maybe wins right. because like that there just wasn't enough defense from UC to to complete that. Even when they made that comeback in the second half right. and got back into it, yeah, they needed to get a stop and they just couldn't get the stops when they needed it. And you know, that's, that's part of the transition they're going through right now. I think more so than the transition they're making on the offensive end, the defensive end is a much bigger transition for this group of guys compared to what Mick Cronin was doing. Um, I think the team is in a much better spot than I expected them to be two weeks ago. Like, I thought this thing would be crumbling down around them. The locker room would have been kind of lost, and these guys would have either been playing for themselves or just all kind of looking like Jaron, like they were disinterested. I don't see that. I see a team that's fighting. But I see him disinterested be... still, though. The, and, and look, the whole... Maybe is, just the way he plays, maybe, but d- it just feels like he just... It just looks it. It's, it's hard to argue that Jaron Cumberland's body language is bad. I would add to that, though, that for three years, Jaron Cumberland's body language has probably been pretty bad. The The difference is he was playing well. The team was winning a little bit more. I'm like, look, we all know those kids, too. And, you know, I'm saying kids. I agree at third yeah, thoughts at this point. But we all know these guys growing up who, when things are going their way, great teammate, easy to deal right. with. All of a sudden, you lose a little bit or they're not playing well. They're a little bit of and a you're still not, and they're and hard you, to And you're still with. not feeling right, probably. You're not 100% in all likelihood. Yeah, I think we're past the point of him being injured. Now, maybe he needs to get in shape still, in full basketball shape, but like, I don't see anything holding him back physically at this point. I do think his decision-making has held him back in a lot of games where he's, like you said, seems disinterested and disengaged Just, from God, what they're trying to execute. Honestly, guarding him and he comes downhill, are you really going to stand in there? No. And he's drawing fouls at a pretty good rate, but some of that is him getting the ball at the end of the games and, and racking up some fouls, yeah. too, because he's their go-to guy. I do think he definitely needs to be more engaged in terms of attacking on offense. I mean, they, they just have to. Now, granted, their offense swings the ball. It moves now, a lot more. No, I will ask you that part. And, and I know that's part of that's what John Brand's offense is. It's basically it, it's everybody gets a touch for the most part. Does he need to tweak that a little bit? Does that need to be his tweak and say, you know what, for this year only, I do have an elite offensive player who I need to play through him a lot more. I need to do some ISO stuff. I need to play some two-man game. I mean, maybe him and Chris Vogt in a two-man game would be great on a side of a floor. I and, Again, I'm not telling him how to coach, obviously. but it, and, I, and look, I know you want to put your system in, but for this year only, just because of this guy, and I'm not telling you you bow to him and you kowtow to him, but if it fits your team better to help you win and it fits his skill set better, do you think about that? Well, I think there's two things there. One is that... The the offense that John everyone keeps talking about, like John Brandon's system and how it's just not working with these guys and it's so hard for them to pick up and he needs new guys in there and everything. Look, John Brandon is running a ball screen motion offense flow game. Yeah, it like Mick Cronin ran the same thing pretty pretty often three years ago. Mick switched his stuff up and he yeah. was more NBA where he ran like a lot of sets and stuff like that. Um but he ran this same offense a few years ago. Now, granted, his was slower. They didn't get it from side to side on the floor near as much. John wants the ball to change sides yeah, of the quickly. floor as quick as possible right. and get the defense moving. So it's a little bit different, but it's a very common yes. flow game offense that yeah. 
80% of college basketball teams are probably using at some level. Um, so I, it's not like... I mean, we all some, learn motion offense to some degree back in fifth grade, right? right. And there's not, variations of it. It's so, not yeah. some crazy scheme that like he's running no, 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 that can't no, be executed. I, and I know about, you're not saying that, yeah. but I keep hearing it from yeah. fans. Like his, his, his system is so complex or something. It's not. It's not. And the other thing that John has been very good at, and again, I, I challenge you to go back and watch Drew McDonald at, at NKU, is putting his star player in positions to succeed. And he does that with set plays, running things, to let his player ISO or to run a two-man game on the side of the floor like you mentioned. He'll do those things, and he has done those things for Jaron. The problem is, Jaron has to do something with oh, yeah, him. Like, you can't just keep running sets for a guy who's giving you nothing and taking bad shots. So at some point, you do have to start getting Keith Williams involved in your offense. Maybe. I will tell- and, and maybe that's the tweet. Maybe it is somebody else. Yeah, and, and, and I think they've been doing a good job of that, of saying, like, hey, we're still going to get Jaron his looks, but we're not going to run everything to him and focus our whole game plan on getting him going anymore because we've got some guys that are playing well and Keith Williams people aren't talking near enough about how well Keith Williams is playing and the jump that he's made his the way he's shooting the ball on spot up opportunities now he still takes some tough shots from time to time that drag his percentage down overall but the the way he's shooting on spot up opportunities is night and day compared to last year he was horrible last year yeah, when he, he was got just an shot. last year yeah, right now he's knocking down some good looks so i think this team still has upside I don't think they've turned the corner yet, and mainly because they have to get Jaron playing well. They're not going to be a, now in the AC. Because they, they don't have enough in? bucket getters otherwise. They just right. don't. They're just not set up to be that type of team. Right. All their expectations were on him. So, yeah, I, I don't think they've turned the corner, but they're, they're still alive. They've got a pulse, and I didn't think, you know, two weeks ago when we were talking about them, I thought they'd be done by this time of year. All right, so let's say they go 13-5 and five in the American. Is that the bar to get them in, or does it have to be better than that? So that would put them at what? 20-10, and 21-10? Uh, yeah, it's going to be... I think it'll it'll be AAC tournament time, right? Like, do you you'll probably need. Like, there's a lot of teams in the country that are going to be in that boat this year, doesn't there? There are definitely going to be a lot because it, it's so and funny. The AAC much, is going to hurt you. Yeah, well, it's funny how much the parity in the non-league and the losses teams have taken in the non-league that they probably weren't counting on taking. Dude, you go 13 and five in your league in any league. That's a pretty good league campaign, right? And now we're talking about in terms of for Kentucky going 12 and six might not be enough. 13 and five for UC might not be enough. That's odd. Yeah. Well, and, and like the AAC, because of its reputation, is going to hurt you at yeah. the end of the day. But I will also say, you look at the AAC this year, and outside of the couple outliers at the bottom of the conference again, they do have a, to- a lot of top 100 teams. So there, are, there will be some more opportunities for UC to pick up those Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2 wins, particularly on the road. But they're going to have to start playing better to get those. So um, it's certainly a work in progress still. We'll wait to see Jaron Crumble. I mean, the fact that he at least got 18 the other night was, was good to see. Um, the, the shooting percentage, him going 6 of 16, you'd like to see him be a little more efficient than that, but uh, not a bad performance overall. All right, it was a tough road trip to UNCG for NKU over the weekend. It was announced before the game on Saturday that the Norse's leading scorer, Dantes Walton, is out indefinitely after suffering a shoulder injury earlier in the week. NKU got another big performance out of Tyler Sharp as he scored a career-high 33 points, tallying 30 for the second straight game. However, the Norse also lost starter Trayvon Faulkner towards the end of the game with an ankle injury, and he left the arena on crutches. NKU has been without starting point guard and preseason all-conference selection Jalen Tate since the third game of the year. Skinny, do you think the Norse will be able to overcome all these injury issues and salvage Darren Horn's first year as head coach? I mean, you can't expect Tyler Sharp to get 33 points every night. And the sad part was the kid got 33. And I know it was a high-volume shooter in that game because there was nobody else to shoot it. But he got 33 of the 50. If you get 33 of 80, all right, I'm good with that. <laughs> 33 game, of 50, yeah. dude, that's not a very good percentage of, of rest of team scoring points. And I'm yeah. not blaming Tyler Sharp. No, yeah. And I mean, somebody has to put the ball in the bucket, and he's doing that at a high level. To be clear, like, I called that game, and it was right. not at all him being, like, yeah, selfish. No, he, no, right. he was looking, dying for someone else. And at some point, the coaching staff was basically just like, we can't get a shot off if he's not doing it. Now, how he scored 33 with I, a freak athlete locking him down at the whole game, or trying to lock him down the right. game, I don't know. Um, it was a special – he was really, really fun to watch in that game. But the, this, the injuries are mounting. And to a certain extent this year, I was like, oh, wow, this is great. They're building depth without Jalen Tate. They're still winning games. But, but at some point, you, you've, lost your two, you've lost two dudes, man. You've lost your two best players. Right. Now a third starter and returning guy, three, three of your four best players, is going to miss some time. We don't know the extent of Trayvon Faulkner's injury at all yet. Maybe he'll be back shortly. But, I mean, he left on crutches, so it's not like it was a total non-issue. Um, what, what's the timeline for Tate? He's going to be back soon. He's got the, the cast off, but I mean, it could still be another couple, two to three, four weeks potentially. Well, the, 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 I guess the good part is this. It's a one bid league. 
That's the part. And that's what I've been saying all along. And, and while you don't want to muddle through and be a seven seed going into the Horizon League term, I think even NKU on a bad day at worst is a four seed. At, at worst. That's the good news. Yeah. So it's it, you'd like to win the league to give you the NIT as a fallback, all those kind of things. It's nice to, to think that. But when you're looking at the macro of this, I'm making sure my guys are – I'm not going to get them back at 80% just to win a game at Detroit Mercy on a Tuesday night. Um Hopefully you're good enough to still go to Detroit Mercy and beat them on a Tuesday night. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make sure my guys are 1,000% by February 1st, hopefully. And then have a good February that has your team confidence rolling rolling into March and then roll through the Horizon League tournament. I, and that, I guess that's the good part of all of this is in a one-bid league, you are literally playing for one week of basketball. Everything builds up to that. And that's what I've been saying all along. Like, look, you're building some depth. It's going to be nice. You get your best player back later in the year and everything's going to be great. But now my bigger concern is not that, you know, it's a one-bit conference and all that, so you, everything's still in front of you. It doesn't matter what right. your record says. But at some point, do you worry about the cohesion and just getting this thing, some, some momentum and well, rolling when point is, none of these guys are playing together? Yeah, but, but wouldn't you hope you can get at least Tate and Walton back by February? Yeah. 100%. I think they'll be back. And isn't that I, enough time to build cohesion? I hope. I would hope so. I would think so. Um, you know, Walton's injury, it seems fairly serious. Because Walton and Sharp and and, uh, and and Tate have played together before. Now, granted, they played together for a brief period of time this year without Drew McDonald, and they played a lot with Drew McDonald, but they've played together before. So it's not like you're introducing three new parts in February that have never played a, a, a second with each other. Totally agree. But they are also with a whole new staff yes. and a totally different system yes. that they're running. So, I mean, all that stuff does matter, and that's why it's starting to be concerning. At the same time, I don't think you can cancel this you, you, this season out from these guys. I mean, this is still a talented team, a team that's the best in the Horizon League in terms of their talent if they have everybody available. Um, I, I, It's just, it's really, it's really tough to watch, honestly, when you're you're seeing these guys, they're overcomer, overcoming things without Jalen right. Tate and, and all that, and then they just keep having guys go down. Because um, it was funny, I, I was, uh, I, I mentioned I was broadcasting a game on Saturday night, so I didn't even get a chance to listen to you in the broadcast, which I, I've, I've done a couple times, but didn't listen to Saturday. Um, so I called the box score up, and the Tyler Sharp thing just made me, so I went, wait a minute, they, only, they scored 15, he had 33? I thought, that's not right. I kept scrolling, and wait a minute, he did score 33. I, that, that, that was the most amazing part to me. Can you imagine if he didn't make shots? It would have been They wouldn't have gotten out of the 30s, time. would they? No. Um, it was hilarious, too. At one point in the second half, there was like some courtside uh, fans, you know, sitting sitting at the right along the floor there. And they, they're sort of talking to him, and I don't think they're even ribbing him. They're kind of just like, you can, you can really shoot or something like something along those lines. And he was just talking with them during a free throw, and he said, "Yeah, I had thirty last game too. Just, just wanted to make <laughs> sure casual. they knew, just, just in case ca- they had yeah, just been checking box yeah. scores just, in the Horizon yeah. League recently." Just, just ca- I mean, Tyler Sharp looks like a guy be the eighth guy on a decent high school team, right? And there he is banging home. 33 points with a guy in his face. Back-to-back 30-point yeah. efforts. Impressive. I, I but you're not winning games like that. You're not. I mean, you're just not. No. And I he mean, knows that. I no. Mean, yeah. yeah. The the entire gym knows it. I mean, now, in, in the Horizon League, you'll be able to beat some teams that way. But yeah, against the... And Greensboro's the right, pretty good for the record. The right states and the UICs. Greensboro's very good. Yeah. They, they are a solid team. NC State needed, what, a, a shot from beyond midcourt to beat them. Right. So... Uh, yeah, and so I did want to just say, Jalen Tate, the only thing we've heard so far from Coach Horn on that injury is that he said it, it, it could be, or I mean, Dantes Walton, rather, the right. only thing we've heard on his injury is that it could be two to four weeks, it could be five or more. Five or more is bad, two to four you can live with. Right, they're, they're still trying to figure out the extent of it, they just haven't given us many details at right. this point, so it, it's still up in the air. All right, Skinny, let's get to our betting picks. Do you have our records? I do. Unfortunately, another bad week in the NFL. And I think we just had NFL last week. I was 2-4. and four, So in football, I am sub-500, 107-111. You, however, big 5-1 and one week leaves you with a 1-8. And actually, your one loss, I think you took the uh, Vikings. Did you take the Vikings on Monday? I believe you did. No, no, no. I had the Packers. Okay. Yeah. Because that was one of my few winners. I had the Packers outright, so at least I see I had them on the money line. So I got extra. Should have gotten extra points for that. No, I had the Packers on the money line. You took the Packers to lose to but the cover. Vikings, but cover. Yeah, okay, but cover. Yeah. Right? Maybe that's what it was. I had the Bears, I think, which was a really idiotic call on my part. Anyway, you're still above water. You're one eighteen one hundred and one after your five and one week. Yeah, Very so well done. You, so I had two nice plays. Um, I was actually at the casino for these games. And so I had two nice plays in that when the Bengals got down twenty eight to six, I went over and hit the live line and got them at plus seventeen and a half. No, my well, 
a friend of mine took them on the live money line down 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 thirty five twelve. He got them at plus twenty two hundred. Wow, he was almost. Oh, he was not a happy. happy. He was not a happy man the way it turned out. I bet not. Although for a few seconds there, he was probably going yes nuts. nuts. Um, I also the Ravens got down six nothing and their line dropped all the way down to four. They were only oh, four crazy. point favorites, so I went and jumped all yeah, over good that. For you. That's those are picked two up good both picks. those nice wins. Yeah, uh, during the game, so two easy wins when all was said and done. Very yeah. All right, well, yeah, maybe not the Bengals so easy. <laughs> we got some uh, college football yes. games this week. Finally, bowl action Saturday at four p.m. College football playoff: LSU and Oklahoma. LSU is favored by twelve and a half. The total is seventy-five and a half. Oklahoma's missing a couple defensive guys, including their safe, their free safety. So that's a factor. But man, that's just a big number. I think Oklahoma LSU's flaw in some games this year has been defense, and maybe it's been when they played the lesser teams and they just let down, let, let off the gas. It seems like I just I can't hang this number as much as I think LSU is the better team, and they probably are two touchdowns better. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go LSU thirty. Now I'll go LSU forty. To thirty, that seventy-five and a half seems like a, just a high, high number to get to. I'll go. I'm going to go Oklahoma to cover and the under there, but LSU gets the outright win, forty to thirty. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. When I just thinking about this game ahead of time, I, I felt pretty good about it. Feel like I, I knew where I was going to be, and then I saw that seventy-five and a half total, and it spooked me a little bit. I'm yeah, like, that's. Even for these two teams, it seems a little bit outrageous. I do think it'll be high scoring. Well, 40 uh, to 30 is high, high scoring, and it's still under the total. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to go LSU 41, Oklahoma 27. So that's LSU, and it stays under that number. I, I agree with you that LSU's defense seems to have a tendency to let off the gas a little bit, but I don't think they're going to be letting off the gas in the football. Yeah, playoff, yeah so. and you're probably right. And they didn't against Georgia when it mattered. So Yeah, and still t- giving up 27 points isn't exactly an elite effort. No, but, but Oklahoma was good score. enough. Yeah, they can score. Exactly. Yeah. All right, and our second game of the night will be Ohio State playing Clemson. Ohio State is the two-point favorite. 64 is the total for that one. Yeah, I know in some places Clemson opened as a favorite, um, which I think struck people as odd. I still think a lot of this Ohio State football team, it's hard for me to pick against them. This will obviously be a tussle. Clemson is still very good. Um, I think they will play with a chip on their shoulder, but I think Ohio State's the better team. Give me Buckeyes, 31 27 so the Ohio State and the under again I I pretty much agree with everything you just said there in terms of Ohio State being the better team I I still think people have been too down on Clemson throughout the year because they were kind of bored early to start the year and And then they just rolled people the last six games yeah Trevor Lawrence kind of had that slow start and threw some interceptions and people were nitpicking him a little bit and they they looked much more like themselves and the same team they were last season by the end of the year that being said I think this OSU team is just different from what we've seen I think they're one of the a generational type uh, college football team this year. I'm going to go Ohio State 38, Clemson 28. So that's Ohio State and the over. Okay. All right. And then on Tuesday at noon, we have Kentucky playing against Virginia Tech. I don't even care what bowl that is. Uh, that's Vir- the Belk Bowl. Yeah, it always is with UK. It's the Charlotte Belk Bowl. Virginia Tech is favored by three points in that one. 47 and a half is the total. Um, I-, I would tell you this. Is Virginia Tech better than Louisville, or is Louisville on the same play? I know Virginia Tech played in the in the ACC championship game. Um, no, they didn't. Yeah, they're, they're, I just don't. The ACC is terrible. Let's just go. Yeah, there. let's Other just than stay Clemson, the ACC is terrible. Yeah, Kentucky beat the daylights out of Louisville. I know it's their rival, and I know they're still one dimensional with Lynn Bowden. But I think Kentucky rolls in this bowl game. I'll go Kentucky 31-19. Their defense has been consistently good all season long. They've shown they can run the ball on anybody. Uh, so I'll go Kentucky and the over in that one. Well, I'm with you. I think the Kentucky money line is the play here. They're three-point underdogs. I'm going to say Kentucky 24, Virginia Tech 21. I think it's closer than you do, but I do think Kentucky wins this game. So uh, UK and the under is the play there for me. All right, then going on to NFL action, we have the Browns at the Bengals Sunday at 1 p.m. The Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites. The total is 44-and-a-half, and you've already told us the Bengals are going to win this one. I think they are. I think they play it to win it. Cleveland, obviously, you saw the dysfunction with Baker Mayfield. It's a matter of how much do they even play their guys, how much do the I can't imagine those guys care one iota about playing. I think Andy Dalton does. I think Andy Dalton cares because it may be his last game in a Bengals uniform, and I think that he goes out as a winner. Um, I think he slings it all over the lot. He <laughs> goes out as a winner with goes a 2-14 and 14 That's exactly right. <laughs> they, they carry him off the field. He drops the mic. They celebrate the great Andy Dalton victory. I'll go, I'll go Bengals. This is going to sound odd. Bengals 27, Browns 20. Bengals in the over. 
You know what? You really like if I go bet on this game in person now, I will probably go with what you said. That 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 really fired me up. That little Newt Rockney speech you just gave. But I'm not. Send out a winner, man. <laughs> I'm just not buying Come on, it. Guys, I, send me out a winner. I can't bet on this Bengals team. Hey, we're gonna go out there. We're gonna play hard. It might be my last game. Come on. Either, either way, I love you guys. You're my brothers. Let's go. Bengals on three. <laughs> Do your job. See, I'm gonna go, how would you not want to go play for that guy? I'm going to go eat Mickey Mouse? While his backup's sleeping, he's trying to get him a win. <laughs> Browns 24, Bengals 21. That's Browns and the over for me. I just think, honestly, I really believe Cleveland's extremely dysfunctional. I extremely don't, dysfunctional I do right now. I disagree with you. Look, though. if they had a shot at the playoffs, I'd give it to you. But they have no shot to play for anything. And they ain't playing for Freddie Kitchens because Freddie is done. I, Cook, I agree with done. you there, but I'm and not Baker's a clown. team. I'm with you. They're terrible. Sunday, 820, 49ers at Seahawks. This was a great game the first time it was. they played. For the division. 49ers are favored by three. The Seahawks won by three last time they played 27-24. The total in this game is 47 and a half. This is known as the Richard Skinner Paul Daner Jr. Bowl because we we have a wager. There are four of us, myself, him, Tyler Dragon from the Enquirer, and Ben Baby from ESPN. All took an NFC West team because we were out in Seattle for the opener. And I cr- spouted off that I think the Seahawks are the best team in the West. And so we all took a team. And I have Seattle. Daner has Frisco. Winner take all for a bottle of Woodford Reserve. Man, I'm nervous, but I got to stick with my Seahawks. They are without Chris Carson. Beast mode is back. I was going to say beast mode yeah. is back, though. I, I think I, I'd I take I, that I, trade. I don't know. What kind of shape can he be in? Probably great. He's probably just been smoking dope and, 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 and climbing mountains. Maybe. Haven't you seen all the TV shows he does? He does like all those wild TV shows. Yeah. Like out in the wild hunting. It, it felt like Seattle kind of, and I know they lost to Arizona, so you're thinking, well, I, that Arizona game didn't, honestly, it meant nothing. This game meant everything. Even if they'd won the Arizona game, they still were going to have to win this game. So I'm going to go Seattle at home, 27-24, outright winners and the over. Go get them, Russell. I'm... Huge on Russell Wilson. I'm huge on him in close games. I'm huge on Seattle at home. Comma, but. But this matchup feels like one where neither team is going to sweep it. I just feel like they have to split this. And since Seattle already won at San Fran, I think the 49ers return the favor here. And I think it's by almost the same exact score. I'm going to say the 49ers score one more than Seahawks did last time. It's 28-24, 49ers, and the over. They're both agree. I think it is over because I think it gets into some, not, not a shootout completely, but I do think you They're see a back and forth. Yeah, feels like, right? I agreed, yes. Yeah. yeah. College basketball, Skinny, give us our, uh, our records. I was 5-3 and three last week. Makes me 34-19-1 on the season. Feeling good about myself in college basketball. Probably won't feel that way come March Madness. You went five and uh, five and three as well. That makes you twenty nine, twenty four, and one. All right. So Saturday at one p.m., Milwaukee goes to BB&T Arena to take on the Norse of NKU. The Norse are favored by eleven. The total is one thirty three. As banged up as NKU is, I can't imagine that they can hang a, a double digit win on anybody right now. Real curious to see what this actual line is. Yeah, when it comes I don't out. think it'll be eleven because the Ken, that's the Ken Palm line for yes. the record, and that's the only thing we have to go on because lines for college basketball don't come out until literally basically the day of, or, or a lot of times in Vegas the night before late. Um, I'll go NKU 67-60. I still think they're good enough to win. It's at home and all those things, but I'll take the Norse and the and the under. I mean, I'll take Milwaukee to cover and the under. Yeah, I agree with you. I think if this game is outside, probably like that six and a half, seven point line, Milwaukee's probably the play here. It just feels hard for this NKU team to really pull away and stay, you know, keep a big lead on a team. I'm going to go NKU 65, Milwaukee 61. So that's Milwaukee and under that. So we're both under, yeah. Saturday, 345. We've got Louisville at Kentucky. Big game here for both teams, but especially the Wildcats. The Cardinals are only a one-point favorite on the road. Kentucky, or rather, the total is 131. I still think Louisville winds up probably being a little bit bigger, don't you think? Three-ish? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to say two and a half. Yeah, three okay. and a half. So it's, it's, it's in the neighborhood. Um, it's just hard to pick Kentucky right now. I know they, they're at home, and I guarantee the crowd is going to be so amped up because the crowd is going to understand how big of a game this is for this particular Kentucky. It's always a big game anyway, but even more juice because of that. Um, but it's just hard for me to pick Kentucky right now, just the way they don't score the ball and the fact that Louisville has so many offensive options. I'll, I'll go Cardinals uh, 74-69, and that's probably a high number for Kentucky. So believe it or not, I got UofL and the over the 131. Yeah, actually, we're pretty close on this one. I think your explanation is almost perfect. I just don't see – I said last week Kentucky was going to be my upset pick of the week. I thought, you know, they'll turn it around, but 
after seeing what I saw last week, I, I just this team is not very good right now, and I don't think they're close to figuring it out yet. I'm going to go Louisville 72, UK 66, so that's Louisville and also over that 131. So Monday, 6.30 to wrap things up here. Xavier is at Villanova. The Musk, Musketeers are five-point underdogs in that one. The total is 139. Um, you know, Nova hasn't scored the ball great this year. Uh, and, and it comes and goes a little it, bit more it, it this does. year, yeah. And I think because of that, I think Xavier does hang around. Hard to pick pick against Nova in this case because they feel like they just they, they not only beat Xavier at home, they own Xavier at home. Except for last year Except when Xavier last beat them year, there. I know that. Travis they, Steele is but, different. But they own Xavier at home for the most part. Um, I think this is going to be a, a last possession type of game, but I'm going to give it to Nova just because they're at home. Nova's 69, Xavier's 66. So Xavier covers and it stays under. Yeah, I think these guys are feeling pretty good about themselves. I think this Xavier team is really, it'd really great, tough. It'd be a great win. I mean, yeah. what, what, if you start with this win, I mean, you talk about the scalp you want to get in the league and you get it right off the bat it, you're pretty set you're, I mean, you're in a good spot yeah you really just need to sort of hold serve after yes. that um but i don't see that happening i think villanova wins this one 74 66 so that's villanova and over the 139 oh you got nova covering i do okay all right. Speaking of which, our uh, college basketball podcast will uh, begin this Sunday. Uh, Chad, Chad Brenda will join us, so we'll uh, get a lot more in-depth into college basketball. Obviously, we'll still continue talking basketball on this podcast as we do each and every week. So uh, look for that each Sunday. It'll drop uh, sometime on Monday. It kind of recaps the week and gives us uh, the college basketball season as we kind of get into conference play. So looking forward to that. It feels like, for me especially with football, I'm so engrossed in football and coaching my own high school basketball team that, that I don't really even look up for a lot of times till conference play begins. And so it kind of is, it's time to open my eyes for college basketball. Yeah, I feel like once college basketball season starts, I just dunk my head underwater and don't <laughs> breathe again until April. So this year especially. Yeah, good stuff. All right, uh, you'll be on the broadcast as well. You'll be on the call of uh, Xavier Milwaukee on Sunday, correct? I mean, uh, NKU, uh, NKU Milwaukee, Milwaukee on sure, Sunday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> NKU Milwaukee on Sunday. Uh, so uh, listen for that. What station is it on Sunday? Do you know off the top of your head? It's on one of the iHeart channels. There's, uh, there's multiple. There's multiple options. It rotates every game. I have to ask Jim this when I like get there. It's like a 550 WKRC type. type I of would game. assume it's a 55 KRC yeah. game. I always have to. The ask Bengals the, are on LWEBN and fifteen thirty that day. Well, there you go. It's probably 55 KRC. Yeah. If not, it'll be on 100.7. The project. There you go. Um, but I do, two different audiences to me. The project listening crowd versus the KRC listening crowd are two different. We Demos. joke about that fairly often. I don't know exactly what the project plays, but I assume it's like indie rock. And so people are just driving around, listening to whatever indie rock sounds like. And then you hear, oh, welcome to NKU basketball on the project. Yeah, that's probably not the same same demo. That, I don't know what that voice was I just did. That was not a Jim that, Kelch yeah, impersonation, no, really just to wasn't. be clear. Really I don't wasn't. want Jim to get offended. That was not that, my impression. That was not your radio voice either. No, then. that was no one's. I'm I just did a random sure voice. Was. All right, lastly, did you ask for anything special for Christmas? Are you hoping to get anything other than that godforsaken thing you're wearing? You didn't, you didn't think this shirt was enough? No, I did not. I'm sorry. Did your girlfriend get you that, or did you buy that on your own? Uh, I had this one last year. I don't remember why I came into this one, um, but I have it. Honestly, they need you for the Magic Act up at Sharonville Convention Center at 5 tonight. Can you go? Look, when you hang out in a newsroom with Bob Herzog, you wear some goofy he, stuff. He had a fairly loud uh, loud outfit on uh, the, this morning that we're doing this podcast on Christmas Eve morn. Yeah, he really did. Uh, no, I didn't ask for anything, I don't think. Okay. I, I don't like. What do you ask for once you're an adult man? I, I not much. Ask like, for I've asked for a briefcase at times. I've asked for. My, I will say for my birthday, I got some some like a radio headphone thing. So if I go out and work in the yard, I can listen to the Reds games and music or whatever. So I got that. I'm not a big iPod guy, or I'm not a big plug my phone in listen to music. What you guy. got like got, the old school headset with oh, an yeah. AM FM in love it? it? No love way. It. Love it. That love is amazing. It. Does it have an antenna sticking up like uh, the old school ones? No, there? no, but love it. Damn, that would be sweeter Absolutely than Apple Absolutely love butter. it, yes. It actually has Bluetooth, though, to it as well, so you can. there's some things, other things you can listen to with that. Yeah, I, I would, love it. I would like two things uh, from our listeners. Peace and joy and happiness. <laughs> <laughs> that too. I would like, uh, one, tell us what grown men are supposed to ask for for Christmas. Yeah, if you've, got, I, if you've like figured out the gold mine of like what to ask for and what's a good gift, I'd love to hear it because I never I, know. I am truly, I've been for probably the last 20 years, I'm at that stage where honestly, I, Christmas has always been about your kids. Now my kids are grown up. Right. So it's more just about being with them. I really don't even, I just, I like waking up and seeing them open a couple things and 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 kind of just chilling for the day. I really do. That that That's, that's enough for me for Christmas. Yeah, I don't even have that. I usually just, drink alcohol and hang out with well, family. That's a, that but, part's a given. Yeah, yeah. That, that part's kind of a given, yes. Yeah. Um, the uh, The other thing uh, that I do want is... Uh, Peace and joy and happiness! 
<laughs> that wasn't it. But I will say for this year, I do have one Christmas gift request from our listeners. I need them to do something for me. Twitter is very worked up about this. They're mad that I do not have a catchphrase yet on the bro- for NKU broadcast. So oh, don't do if it. you guys want to give me a catchphrase for NKU. Bingo, bingo, bingo. To call on the air, you could, you guys could develop that, and Jim will be very happy to know that I'm soliciting these uh, Man, these requests. Do you really want a catchphrase, though? Do you really want one? No, of course not. And Jim yeah, would literally I, fire me from the broadcast immediately if I did. Um, but I'd love to hear what you guys come up for. Here comes Freddie. Skips through the lane. Bingo, bango, bango. I, someone did say sweeter than apple butter because I say that from time to time, and I was like, "That's not too bad." If I busted out, yeah, out. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, you, 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 you do three. You do sharp. You do sharp from three. Like, give me a quick call, and I'll see if I can fit in it. No, my usually is 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 I I, I hearken back to the days of K Wood Ledford, so he's always in my mind. So it'd be sharp from th- sharp for three beauty. Okay, so, okay. So you do you do the play by play guy, and I'll see if I can fit in sweeter than apple butter as the analyst. Okay, all right, you got it. swings it off the sharp pump fakes fires up from three. Got it. Oh man, Sharp's release sweeter than apple butter on that one, Jim. I loved it. Is that good? <laughs> and I just smacked you in the face. <laughs> oh, I uh, loved it. Who says that after a three? Yeah, nobody. No, one. no said no one ever. Yeah, that's All right. Bad. Hey, have a Merry Christmas, everybody. We do mean that sincerely. Thanks for listening. We will be back again. We'll have our uh, basketball podcast with Chad Brendel coming up on uh, Sundays starting this weekend. And of course, we'll be back next week for another skinny podcast, the Popery edition. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. Merry Christmas. Happy holiday. That's all I got. Have a good day.